Hi guys, this is Cliff Knight from Equippers International. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We want to lift up Jesus and provide a place where you can be taught the truth and encouraged in your relationship with Him. If you find this podcast helpful, feel free to share it with others. We believe it will be a source of blessing and encouragement and that you'll be strengthened in your relationship with Jesus. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Equippers International podcast. This is Cliff Knipe, your host. Today, I want to talk to you about what I've entitled The Life of Christ and the Defeat of Legalism. I recently had a good friend of mine. I'll go ahead and say his name to give him credit where credit is due, but Jerry David from Fort Worth, Texas, or Roanoke, Texas, to be specific. He's a good buddy of mine and been a friend for many, many years, and he recently gave me a book for my birthday called A Man in Christ, The Vital Elements of St. Paul's Religion by a guy named James S. Stewart, and this book was written in 1935. Uh, I personally have found in my journey with the Lord and with books that anything written prior to about 1950 is actually quite a blessing and can be very fruitful for us in our walk with the Lord. I think there's just something about maybe the level of revelation that some of these older guys walked in in the day. Uh, But anyway, this book has turned out to be a real blessing in my life so far. Now, I'm only a little ways into the book, but this morning I I was reading some in chapter three of the book where um, Mr. Stewart takes up the idea of legalism in the life of the believer. And what I want to do in this episode is do a little bit of teaching, but I want to use these, uh, actually these three comments that he makes regarding legalism kind of as as touching points. And I actually do want to go through, without belaboring the point, I want to go through and just read some of the references in the book as we go along and, um, yeah, and just dive right in. And I'll add some commentary and some references, uh, scriptural references of my own. And let's just see where that leads us. So we're going to be dealing with legalism in the life of the believer and uh, see how Christ addresses the spirit of legalism and our solution actually to legalism in the life of the believer because, needless to say, uh, legalism is is not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing for our spiritual development. And, of course, you know that my, my main goal in these podcasts is to assist Christians, specifically the body of Christ, to come to a place of maturity in the Lord. So I think this is a pretty pertinent topic, especially as we step through. I think you'll see more and more um, how pertinent it is. So... Uh, I'm going to use, uh, or actually Mr. Stewart uses the word religion uh, in a couple of his definitions here. And when we say religion, I am meaning that in the truest sense of the word, probably a word that was more meaningful, as I said, 100 years ago or so in the writings of um, of Christian men and women, and, and as opposed to the connotations of religion it has today. But in religion, we mean uh, a real personal devotional relationship with God. So let me just jump right in, and I think you'll, you'll catch on and see where we're going in this little teaching. First of all, Mr. Stewart points out, and I'm reading from a little version, a paperback version of the book. If you happen to ever get your hands on it, it would be on page 49 and 50 is where I'm going to be referencing referencing this conversation, um, and he references legalism as a religious approach to God. And the first thing he says there is that legalism uh, is a religion of redemption by human effort. 
So according to legalism, uh, we're thrown back on our own human efforts and resources. Now, I, I agree that probably most of you who are listening to this podcast, if you were asked, you know, uh, if you're a bona fide Christian and you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and someone asks you, what is the basis upon which you are redeemed? You would probably say by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And that would be the right answer. Uh, and so we're not going to belabor the point uh, in regards to uh, a Christian's perception of where their redemption actually comes from. But it's very interesting how quickly legalism can sneak in to our idea of our relationship with God. And though while we may all understand that our our redemption, uh, that upon which our, our salvation is founded is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It's interesting how quickly we can move off of those grounds into some other perception of what our relationship with God looks like. So uh, it's easy to fall into having an undercurrent in our lives once we become Christians. And, and we obviously carry this over for many of us from uh, early days, maybe before we were Christian, maybe we were exposed to religious in the worst sense, worst sense of the word. Maybe we were involved in religious activities, maybe even well-meaning things, but we were actually devoid of a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And when we came to that revelation and came to a point in our relationship with God where we respond to him by faith, and we now are filled with the Spirit, and we have a living, vibrant connection to God, we then recognize how religious we were and how legalistic we were in our ideas of redemption. So no matter where it creeps in or where it where it may have played out in our lives in the past, it's very important that we not fall into a present tense understanding of any measure and means by which our relationship with God is defined by our religious or legalistic activities. It's easy to fall into an idea that I need to live, or, the, or this this perception may be present in the heart of a believer, uh, and this is my quote, I need to live a morally good life so that I can win the acceptance of God, so that I can put myself in good standing, and nothing could be further from the truth. For we know, reaching all the way back, a verse comes to mind, is Isaiah 64, 6, reaching all the way back into the Old Testament to the prophets, and Isaiah says, all our righteous deeds, all our attempts to do the right thing, are like filthy garments. They're like filthy rags before the Lord. This kind of approach and this kind of perception about our relationship with God based on our ability to do good things, and we're going to get more into this uh, in the second point and bore down a little deeper, but first of all, just on our basic standing before God, this type of thinking can ultimately only lead to disillusionment and frustration because we can never measure up. I can remember my own personal testimony when I came to the Lord 
there were sin patterns and things that I carried into my life because of the things that I did before I was a Christian. And it wasn't soon after becoming a Christian that obviously through teaching that I heard and through my own process of studying the Word of God, I recognized that God was calling me to a higher place. Not just, yes, in my activity morally, but you know, even deeper into my thought life, into my motives and my actions. And I realized very quickly that to approach this call of the Lord to a new place legalistically was only going to bring me down a really slippery slope into discouragement, disillusionment, and frustration. Let me read a passage going to Stewart's book from page 49. He says, The soul of man setting out gallantly enough on the crusade to conquer besetting sin and weakness and to establish personal righteousness has found that road too hard and difficult, and the foes on that road are too stubborn. Let me just stop there. It's beautiful language. Remember, it's written in 1935. So he has a beautiful command of the English language. What Stuart is saying is that once we become a believer, even our attempts to set out with great intentions to conquer besetting sins and weaknesses in our own character, our own moral behavior, and to establish personal righteousness, which we would all believe is a very noble cause and a a goal in which God would surely want us to reach for, he says that this road is found to be too hard and the foes, the enemy on that road are very stubborn. And he says that this gallantry has given way to disillusionment and aspiration to a sense of downright futility. No man can save himself. Now, not only, obviously, from a salvific standpoint, we know we can't save ourselves, but it's easy to fall into this trap that while we not salvation, eternal salvation of the soul, but salvation where salvation meets us, all of us so practically, is that we want to experience salvation from things in our lives. And the Lord wants us to understand that this salvation can and never will come through personal attempts of righteousness. He says this was Paul's great discovery. I love this saying. He says here, a drowning man does not want a lecture on the art of swimming. He wants a rope to cling to. And what God has done for us through the gospel is that he he has thrown to us the rope of the life of Jesus Christ. You know, where this became very real to me in my own personal journey was, as I mentioned before, in relationship to some areas in my own life where I struggled and battled, and I, and I could not bring myself into a place of practicing the things that I desired to practice. What really set me free was the revelation from Romans chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to be able to go into that in depth in this teaching, but surely I want to open it up to us in a measure that it can come as an encouragement to some who are listening, because what Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6 is the solution to anybody's attempt to win 
this battle against these stubborn forces, be it the enemy, be it the flesh, be it the force of sin in our lives. And Paul very distinctly tells us in Romans 6 that two things have happened. We have died with Christ to the power of sin, and we have been made to be alive together with Christ in God. And so I love where he comes down in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, and I'm, I'm just moving through some very beautiful information in the first part of Romans, but let me just get to the, the point of what I want to make in relationship to this idea of legalism. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It is our life in Christ Jesus. It is Christ Jesus's life in us that is the very source of our ability and our power to live a righteous life. It's not based on our ability. Paul himself goes on to say in Romans 7 that he recognizes this principle in in himself that he actually in himself does the very things he doesn't want to do. And he doesn't do the very things he does want to do. But where does it ultimately lead him? It ultimately leads him to that place whereby he cries out, who will free me from this body of sin? In other words, who will free me from this mindset and this perception that I can do it in my own strength because I can't. And see, the spirit of legalism wants to creep into our relationship with God, and it wants to steal the blessing of the indwelling life of Christ that is in us because we move away from the foundation of who Christ is in us and our total and complete faith and dependence upon him, and we move into the place of self-reliance. And that is legalism. That turns in to a performance-based righteousness that can never bring us to ultimate freedom. I don't know how many times in my own life and subsequently in the lives of other believers that I've sat with and tried to understand and explain this beautiful life-giving principle that we have to come to the place in our battles, in, in those places of our lives where we do not experience the manifestation or the practice of righteous behavior, we have to come to that place in our lives and say, I cannot do it. I will not fall into the trap that it's up to me because it's not up to me. It's up to the living Christ within. And only as I come to that place of ultimate recognition that I cannot, but Christ can, will I ever experience freedom from a legalistic mindset that says I must. And God never told us that we must. He says that we trust and we trust in the life which he's provided for us in Christ. So let me move on to the second point. He says in the second point that the legalistic spirit will always introduce 
a mercenary spirit into our relationship with God. And I thought at first, I thought, well, what in the world is a mercenary experience? It kind of sounds kind of militaristic. It kind of has a, an interesting ring to it. I actually had to go up and look up the word mercenary. So for those of you that didn't also know what it meant, a, a mercenary by definition is someone who serves gladly with the view of tangible reward, but does so at the expense of their own ethics. So what that means is that they are materialistically minded and money driven to the point that no matter what it costs, they'll do it. So it's that's a mercenary person and it's a mercenary spirit. Now, how does that translate into our relationship with God? What does it mean that legalism brings us to the point where we have a mercenary spirit? Well, let me try to unpack this for us. By mercenary uh, spirit, Stuart is meaning to say that a legalistic spirit introduces uh, a belief and a perception that we can somehow work for God in order to receive a reward and that we will do everything that we possibly can to bring a response from God whereby he rewards us. And you might think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, everything in the world is wrong with it if you believe that your relationship with God is based on you performing in order to receive something. Because see, the truth is that this undermines the essence of the gospel. Gospel. When you recognize and understand what God has given you in Christ Jesus, you will never believe that there is anything that you have to do to get anything from God ever in the future because everything belongs to us in Christ. I love the verse in Romans chapter 8. Paul says this, If God is for us, who is against us? Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Freely God will give us all things. Now, let me, let me read a little bit of what uh, Stewart says here on page 50 of his book. He says, Legalism always tends to develop this mercenary attitude. It is ever seeking to increase its claim upon God by multiplying regulations and ordinances which it proposes to obey. Now, I know that's some high language, but what is he saying? He's saying the legalistic spirit introduces into our relationship with God things, spiritual behavior, devotional practices that we propose upon ourselves as something that we must obey. He says, goes on to say, I quote, The great central requirements of doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with God are not always of fulfillment. So see, God requires for those that want to practice true religion to do the things that he just said. It's just to love mercy and to walk humbly before God. But instead, we introduce all type of meritorious actions, Stuart says. In this mercenary spirit, we introduce all types of activities in a performance mindset like 
prayers and fasting and tithing and doing for things for the Lord that faithfully and rigorously performed, we think will give us a reward from God. Now, here is the most tricky aspect of really the Christian life, because the reality is a Christian who loves God and is is understanding the place that they have in God, in Christ, will naturally pray, will naturally fast, will naturally give, will naturally serve the Lord, will naturally love others, but that we should never do so with the heart posture that says, if I do this, God will in turn reward me. Because God is never, as Stuart goes on to say, God is never going to be in debt. He says it this way, While as for the idea that a man may put God in his debt by his own obedience, the fact is that even if we were to wear your fingers to the bone in serving God, even if we were to burn out our brain and beggar his soul in utter devotion, he still would not so much as have begun to establish any claim on God. No man can ever have God in his debt. God has every man immeasurably in his. And that's the end of the quote. So what God has done in the gospel is he has brought us to a place where there is nothing that we have to do. He has given us all favor in Christ. I read it earlier. If he did not spare his own son for us, how much more will he, as his children, give us all things that belong to Christ? So we do not need to wring our hands. We do not need to pour ourselves out in endless intercession and self-abasing fasting and whatever processes we go through if We think that the end result is that God is going to respond and reward us. We have already fully received our reward from the Lord. This just reminds me directly of the Galatians, the churches in Galatia that Paul wrote to. And he tells them in Galatians 3.3, he says, are you foolish? I mean, have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is at the very heart and the very root of what was wrong in the belief system of the believers in the Galatia churches. They had come under the delusionment that there was something they needed to do in addition to their right standing in God because of their faith that turned into a work of the flesh. It is that mercenary legalistic spirit that has been introduced into Christianity that Paul addresses in one of his most scathing books of the New Testament. And he says, quite frankly, if you live that way, then it as if you have been severed from Christ. And so may we all understand that all that we have and ever will have has already been given to us in Christ. It is only ours to accept and to receive by faith and to walk in a secure, right relationship with a heavenly Father who loves us and has done everything necessary for us through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the good news. That's the gospel. 
Now, the third thing that, that Stuart points out, and I just want to comment on, he says, is that legalism carries with it a fondness of negatives. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that when a legalistic spirit enters into our relationship with God, it very quickly begins to be focused on the thou shalt nots. Legalism loves to focus on the thou shalt nots. I quote, it fails to realize that method of keeping the evil things out is defective. So when we focus on the thou shalt nots, it is a posture that's saying our attention is going to now be turned to the things that we should not do. And I think Stuart's insight into this process is very profound. I want to share it with you. He says that it is a mistake in two different directions. First of all, on the one hand, he calls it a negative religion. It is it is relating to God in the truest sense of our relationship with Him based on a constant perception of the what we should not do, the thou shalt nots. And Stuart says, I quote, on the one hand, a negative religion is always apt to defeat itself. The evil spirits which are repressed and refused entrance at one front may quite possibly, as every psychologist knows, burrow underground and come up from the basement. (laughs) So long as the place is untenanted, that danger will always remain. So what he's saying, he said, the minute you close the window, something's going to come through the door. The minute you say, nope, you shouldn't come through the door, it's going to come up through the attic. It's going to burrow underneath. It's going to find a way in. Because any relationship with God that constantly focuses on the thou shalt nots will always open the door for that activity. It's a very simple principle that Paul takes up in the book of Romans and he also he also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 late there in 1 Corinthians he says that the power of sin is the law so the very don'ts that we don't want to do will find a way in as long as we focus on the don't so this is a profound principle that God wants to move us away from and move us into a much more profound principle that I'm going to share with you in just a moment. But on the other side of this negative religion, Stuart says, and I quote, On the other hand, even if the soul were to succeed in shutting all these things out, it shuts out something else as well. God's good light and air and sunshine. Legalism can never hope for the width and freedom and gladness and release which have been Christ's gifts to men. It is a burdensome creed and never sings nor exalt. It is a dead weight the soul has to carry, not wings to carry the soul. Now listen to what he says, and I'm going to finish with this comment. The secret of all power and gladness, as Paul was later to discover, lies in these three words, Christ in me. For while legal religion is a burden bearing a man down from above, Christ is a living power 
bearing him along from within. See, to be in union with Christ means the joy of possessing interior sources of a supernatural order and of feeling within you the power of an endless life. But legalism knows and can know nothing of that power. He's saying that the beautiful truth is that Christ within is the wellspring of victory. It is the place of freedom for the believer. Jesus himself says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Paul picks up that very notion in Galatians and says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. There is a very real perception among Christians that freedom preached too openly is too scary of a place. But you see, the truth is it's only in understanding the freedom that God has brought to us in Christ. Because here is the truth. The truth is that when we live from our union with Christ, the do nots turn into I do not want to. And there's a big difference between I do not want to and thou shalt not. Because, see, when our lives are transformed from the inside out, from the presence and the indwelling life of Jesus, the indescribable power that Stuart says we have living in us that Paul outlines for us over and over throughout his epistles that it is Christ in us, the life which we now live. We live by faith in Christ who is within us. For me to live is Christ, that Christ has provided for us everything necessary for us to experience complete freedom because a transformed life does not. A non-transformed life always relates to God in the perception of, I shall not, I don't need to, I shouldn't do that. A transformed life always relates to God in the perception of, I don't even want to do that anymore. How is that for freedom? Because now sin no longer has power over me. Now the fruit of the Spirit of the life of Christ Jesus in me is bringing forth life and it's setting me free from the law of sin and death. And the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control are actually expressing themselves through a transformed life. And that life no longer focuses on all all the deeds of the flesh. Oh, I don't need to do that. I shouldn't do that. I'm not going to do that. If that is our perception, then God, by his grace, wants to shift us and move us to a completely different place. It leads us to that place of complete dependence and awareness that Christ Jesus is our life. And there's nothing that we have or ever can do to earn favor with God or to receive wages from God or to experience freedom in our own strength. This is only on the basis of what Christ has done for us. So true freedom comes from the simple words and the reality of Christ in me. So today, I hope 
that these words will encourage us. I hope that you will be blessed and built up in your faith in Christ to know that God has set you free from any legalistic spirit that wants to enter into your relationship with Him. Your relationship with Him is based purely on the unconditional grace that He's extended to us through the person and the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, and whom He has given to us fully, for we have received from Him fullness, and we do not lack anything pertaining to life and godliness, and that our relationship with God is free from any legalistic spirit and is yoked completely and fully to the life of Jesus that dwells within us. So be encouraged today in your faith. Turn to the Lord and thank Him for the reality of Christ in you today. Meditate on this truth. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and enjoy your freedom in Him. God bless you.